Good morning, church. My name is Benjamin Joseph, and I'm so honored and grateful uh, to share what God has graciously revealed to me today. Uh, we've been going through this series titled uh, Jesus Is over the past uh, couple months or so, um, and uh, we're back in the book of John this week, um, in chapter 15 this time, looking at Jesus as the true vine. And now, just a little context on John's gospel. Um, it's believed to be the last gospel written um, out of the four gospels, and um, unlike many of the other, uh, other gospels, it actually states its purpose um, explicitly. Now, this is not, not common. As uh, most other books of the Bible, the authors would uh, leave it uh, to be inferred um, by readers, by commentators, but in chapter 20 of John, um, he clearly writes. He says this. He says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so John writes so that we may have life in Christ. And I find this especially profound coming from John, um, who writes um, his gospel some 60 to 70 years after his time with Christ. That's 60 to 70 years of life filled with Christ. Um, And as we go through today, my hope for us is that we would grow in life with Christ as we see Jesus as the true vine. So we're in John 15, and um, we're going to start with verses 1 through 6. We'll start there, and then we'll go from there. So it says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. So right away, Jesus starts with this I am statement. Um, And in the Greek, this has a very emphatic feel to it, Uh, much like the I am statement God gave to Moses back in Exodus. Um, So keeping that in mind, when Jesus says, I am, we listen. That's the sense of triumph that Jesus conveys here. And I also find it interesting that the word true is in here, right? It's not just I am the vine, but rather I'm the true vine. And I think there's some significance of that, um, as back in the Old Testament, the vine was used to represent Israel as a nation. Um, Many times in the Psalms, in the prophets, um, Israel was depicted as a vine planted in a vineyard destined to grow. However, amidst this, this imagery was often used to show Israel as lacking in some way. In some way, they were falling short of expectations. That makes Jesus' statement as the true vine all the more significant. He's not just the vine, but rather the infallible, immaculate, impeccable vine. I am the true vine. So Jesus establishes this, but also tells us what our position is in relation to him as the vine. Verse five says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. So if we look at a grapevine here, these are the vine and these are the branches, right? The branches are completely dependent on the vine. There's no life in the branches without the vine, right? In the same way, we must also be completely dependent on Christ, the vine. Right? It is impossible for us to be spiritually sufficient without Christ. 
Without him, we, we, we are lifeless, right? And verse six gives us a harrowing warning on what happens if we're not remaining connected to Christ as the vine. And it says this, if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are, not pick, are, are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. So if we do not remain firmly attached to Christ, we spiritually wither and virtually become of no use. We're unable to produce fruit if we are not attached to the vine. And that brings us to the first of three key points today um, as we look at Jesus as the vine and life in him. And that's this, our role as branches in Christ is to bear fruit. Now, if we think back to our picture of the grapevine, we notice that the grapes on each of these branches, right? And, um, you know, the branches, their role is to produce the grapes. That's their job. Now, can you imagine, right, if there's a branch here that's just sitting there. There's no, no, no uh, grapes, no fruit, no nothing, right? It would be of no use. It would not be fulfilling its purpose. So similarly, right, Jesus says in verse two who, about God who's described as, as the gardener, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Similar to these branches, we have a role to fulfill as branches. That's to bear fruit. And while this may seem kind of daunting at first, the good news is, um, it's impossible for us to do on our own. Just as a branch is completely dependent on the vine to, b- to bear fruit, we also are dependent on Christ who supplies us the nutrients we need to bear fruit. And one of those key nutrients that he gives us is grace. And now across the New Testament, we encounter this idea of grace. You know, um, we hear about it from the Sunday school classroom all the way, you know, um, all the way here in the congregation um, about this idea of grace. You know, what is it? What is its definition? And it's so multifaceted that I would say it's very difficult to come up with a comprehensive definition of grace. Paul in Ephesians uh, gives us a, a, what I would call step one, a step one definition of grace. And it says this, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So this idea of forgiveness through the blood um, is I would say step one, step one in understanding grace. It is a necessary step for the believer to understand. However, for the born again believer, um, I believe there's more to it. I believe there's more to grace um, than just step one. Romans 6.14 says this, sin will not have dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So for those born again, grace is not merely the forgiveness of sins, but power over sins. This is part of bearing fruit, and that's being overcomers. This verse is not implying that we're not going to sin again. No, that's, that's not what it's saying here, but rather sin will not have power over, over us. It will not be master over our lives. And because of this, there's hope. We have hope that we can find victory over whatever parts of the flesh that we struggle with. Um, but that's only possible through the grace of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 takes this one step further, um, and it says that God is able to make grace abound in you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good work. So good works, another part of a fruitful life, are only possible through God-given grace. In other words, we only have the power to do good works through the grace God abounds in us. Colossians 4, 6 reads, let your speech be filled with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. And I love the simile here, um, equating grace to salt, 
right? Um, when, we eat, when we eat food, we, we are able to tell right away if a dish has too much salt or lacks salt, right? So just as salt has power over a dish, grace has power over our speech. We are able to discern what we should say and how we should say it when we are under grace. So we've outlined the power that grace possesses, um, helping us being overcomers, helping us to do good works, and giving us the ability to discern how we should speak. Um, but the logical follow-up question is, how do we receive this grace, right? And it's important, it's important to clarify here, grace is a free gift from God. We are not trying to earn grace, but rather we must receive grace. And it's important, it's important to point that out uh, for understanding's sake, um, and just so Pastor Tim doesn't come and pluck me off the stage because of heresy here. I, just, I want to get that out of the way here. But uh, we'll use an analogy. Um, if we think about if someone had broken their ankle, um, you'll need a crutch to walk, right? They'll need a crutch to walk. Someone offers them a free crutch. The crutch is free. They did not earn that crutch. The crutch is free. They still have to receive it right? They could, they could uh, clearly reject it and be proud enough to think that they could walk on their own, but they'd quickly realize they can't. The crutch is the only way to have the power to walk in that situation. First Peter 5.5 5 echoes this idea as well as an Old Testament proverb when it says, God gives grace to the humble. Now in order to receive God's grace, to have the power to bear fruit, we must be humble. And furthermore, we must be humble enough to recognize when we need it. Hebrews 4.16 calls us to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We all have areas where we fall short. Um, each of us has a different time of need. And for me, it's, it's my thoughts. You know, I haven't had victory over my thought life. Um, and my thoughts are often volatile and quick to stumble, right? Um, I need God gra- God's grace when I find myself... Um, in a discouraged state of mind, in a jealous state of mind, in a lustful state of mind, whatever it may be, those are the moments where I need to humble myself and receive God's grace because that's the only way I can overcome that area of my life. Um, Regardless of how long I put it off, the more more I go without God's grace in my thoughts, the more I will dwell um, on bad thoughts. And I'm not sure what your time of need is, but I'd, I'd encourage you that when you find yourself in it, to ask God for grace, because grace has power, and that power is what we need to fulfill our role as branches and produce fruit, but we can only receive it if we recognize our lack. So that's our role as branches, to produce fruit. Um, and Jesus also tells us our expectation um, in John chapter 15, and verse 2 says this, Um, of God the Father. Um, God the Father cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Now we read that earlier, but this next part is key. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So our our expectations of living in the vine is to be pruned. Now the reality is pruning is not a comfortable process. I mean, the plant's case, it's a process of cutting off with sharp shears. Um, In our case, it's God's way to discipline us. But regardless of how you spin it, pain is involved. Suffering is involved. But Jesus gives us some good news um, in the midst of this um, to hold on to in in verse 2. And and that's the reason why we must prune. Why why be pruned in the first place? And it says, so that the branches will be even more fruitful. So that we are made more like Christ. 
Hebrews 12.10 makes it clear. God disciplines us for our own good so that we may share in his holiness. That's the goal. Earlier in Hebrews 12, we're given a way to keep our eyes on that goal. Verse two reads, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now the Olympics are on, I'm not sure um, how, many of you, how, how many of you have been watching, but the track event started a few days ago. And if you'll notice um, an Olympic runner, you notice the orientation of their face, always forward, always f- uh, focused on the finish line. That's their goal. Um, there was an Indian Olympic runner uh, named Milka Singh um, back in the day, one of the best the country had ever seen. Also one of the only the country had ever seen. Um, but he was, they called him the flying Sikh. He was, he was extraordinary. Um, and he was running um, at the 1960 Olympics um, in Rome. And he got off to a great start. He was flying out of the gates. He looked destined for a spot on the podium. Um, but right around the 250 meter mark, just about a little over halfway there, he looked back, he turned, he f- took his eyes off the goal of the finish line and looked back at his competitors. He missed out on a medal by one spot and one-tenth of a second. The consequences of taking our eyes off the finish line. Like Olympic runners, we also make, must, must fix our eyes on the end goal, and that's becoming like Christ. The end of verse two in Hebrews 12 says, Christ, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Jesus understood the excruciating pain he was about to go to, the weight of eternal hell that he had to endure. Yet, the the glory of sitting down at the right hand of the Father outweighed his present suffering, so he endured. He focused on the joy in the midst of pain, um, and so must we when we are disciplined. And Romans, Romans 5.3 gives us a practical way to do so. And Paul writes, we rejoice in our suffering, for suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. I have a cousin living in India. Um, she, has, she has a very rare genetic condition um, that has left her bedridden for the past 30 years or so. And uh, she and her parents who care for her, my aunt and my uncle, um, they live through the fire every day um, amidst physical, emotional, and spiritual pain. Yet I mean it when I say it. I have never seen anyone else give thanks amidst suffering better than they do. How quickly they give thanks in the midst of trial is truly incredible. They're heroes of the faith in my eyes. And their example in doing this um, really helped me when I went through a painful season of my life. Uh, My parents have had cancer four times um, between them. And by God's grace, they've gone through all four. But I remember a distinct change in my attitude uh, following uh, the third diagnosis. That was my dad's second. Um, Beforehand, I I would always pray, Lord, heal them. That was it. Those were the extent of my prayers. Um, And I was only asking God. I was only asking God in those situations. Yet, in this situation, I felt convicted to, to give thanks for the situation, to give thanks for an opportunity to get closer to sharing in God's holiness. And from then on, a different level of peace set in. Um, My eyes were no longer fixed on the suffering at hand, but rather beyond that, beyond to the glory of becoming like Christ. Um, And that this trial was no longer a roadblock, but rather a means to get to the goal. And I know we all have our different trials, um, but from personal experience, I can say 
that by God's grace, persevering becomes so much easier when we rejoice in the face of suffering. Rejoicing when we are pruned because it gets us closer to our end goal of producing fruit and becoming like Christ gives us the strength to endure. So we know our role. Our role is to bear fruit. We know our expectation. Our expectation is to be pruned. And lastly here, Christ gives us a responsibility in verse 4, saying, remain in me and I will remain in you. And verse 10 kind of expands on this. It reads, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. To remain in Christ, we must be obedient. And I love how Jesus puts it here. It's not just be obedient. It's be obedient just as I have. That's the great thing about Christ. He never calls us to do something he hasn't done already. That's what's so great of having him as our example. He's been through what we've been through. He knows what we're feeling. And in Hebrews 12, it says he can empathize with our weaknesses. 1 John 5, 3 and 4 says of obeying the Lord's commands, his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. And, and this doesn't mean that obedience isn't difficult at times. But rather, in those moments, the Lord himself gives us a source of help. And that's the Holy Spirit to deny ourselves and live obedient lives. Now, in order to be obedient, we must know what the Lord requires of us. Um, and this can be difficult at times, especially in seasons of, of uncertainty. John chapter 14, verse 21 says, he who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. So it's twofold, right? It's not only, it's not only keeping the commands, but having the commands, knowing what, what the Lord requires of us. And throughout scripture, some of the spiritual giants found themselves in similar positions um, as we do today in regards to seeking the Lord's voice. In Exodus chapter 34, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to hear from God about the commandments to be written on the new stone tablets. God calls him up to the mountain. Moses bows, bows down in the presence of the holy almighty God. And then he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. During the time Moses sought to hear from God, he fasted. Daniel lived a lifestyle of prayer. And God revealed to him tremendous amounts of wisdom and knowledge, including spectacular dreams and visions of the things to come. David regularly meditated on God's word and heard so clearly from the Lord so often. So the common theme here, spiritual discipline, to hear from God. And Paul writes that he beats his body into shape, just like an athlete would discipline their body um, for their sport. Spiritual discipline takes our attention off the physical and shifts it to the spiritual. And in a day and age where distractions are normality, um, spiritual disciplines helps us drown out the voices of the world to hear the voice of God. This is a key part of remaining in Him. And I've noticed that I've implemented, as I've implemented spiritual disciplines in my life, um, I've heard from the Lord more, especially um, in seasons of confusion or uncertainty um, where I was waiting upon Him. I'd encourage all of you, regardless of the season of life you're in, to um, incorporate spiritual disciplines in your life. Take scripture at its word, and I'm confident that God will reveal himself to you in greater ways than you can imagine. In order to be obedient, we must know what the Lord requires of us, and I think spiritual discipline is an important step um, in hearing the voice of God more clearly. So to close here, let's recap. One, our role as branches connected to Christ the vine is to bear fruit. 
Grace is power and the nutrient we need to do this, but is only received when we are humble and recognize our time of need. Two we, is we must expect to be pruned. To be pruned is to be disciplined, and all of it is for the purpose of bearing, or of bearing more fruit, or in other words, sharing in God's holiness. And because we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we rejoice in times of suffering because it gets us closer to that end goal. And three, we have a responsibility to remain in him. To remain in him, we must be obedient. But God has given us the spirit to do so. And lastly here, spiritual discipline um, is an important step um, to helping us hearing the voice of God and what he requires of us. To sign us off here, I want to close with a powerful reminder that Jesus gives us um, in John 15, verse 7. It says, if you remain in me and I in you, ask, ask whatever, you may, whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And just to clarify, this is not painting a picture in which we present some wish list to God and he checks the boxes. No, that's not it. We know that if we ask according to God's will, we receive. Jesus tells here that life attached to the vine naturally refines our, di- our desires and aligns them with his so that our requests are consistent with what he has in store for us. He is the vine, we are the branches. Let's be people that remain attached to our source so that we may have an abundance of life in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, who are we without you? You've revealed to us the abundance of riches in store for us when we remain attached to the vine. Give us the strength to remain in you. Humble our hearts so that we may receive your grace to produce fruit. Help us to keep our eyes on you even when life's tough. Um, And above all, remind us daily that the greatest reward that we can ever imagine is becoming like you. Help us to hold on to that. In Jesus' name, amen.